We've been talking a lot about Christmas. I mean, it's right around the corner, right? Last week, I kind of painted a picture of a, of a nice Christmas day, so I tried to, um, at, at my house. Well, today I want to talk about a childhood story that wasn't so nice, at least not on my part. As far as I recall, I was seven years old. And it's funny, I can remember things about my life, even back then. And the Lord has given me a, a vivid memory of things that happened to me back then. And I remember this one particular Christmas morning. It was Christmas of 1977. And I was a big Super Friends Justice League fan. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Justice League, Super Friends, okay? You got Superman, you got Aquaman, you got the Wonder Twins, okay? You've got the dynamic duo, Batman and Robin. Remember him? Boy Wonder? I mean, he was awesome. You know, without Dick Grayson, the, the dynamic duo was nothing. Well, that particular Christmas morning, I woke up seven years old. I got to the big presents. Now, not necessarily in size, but the one that your parents hold till the end, you know, because it's the one that they're really excited to watch you open, remember? And I tear the thing open, and it's, it's exactly what I wanted. It's the Hall of Justice, you guys. That's right, a plastic version, but that's okay, a plastic version of the Hall of Justice. You opened up the two front panels, and there's this table for all the superheroes to sit down. Anybody have one of those when you were a kid? You're all jealous. I know it. Uh-huh. And all the little figurines, okay? You had Superman, and I'm going through them. There's Superman, and there's Aquaman. There's the Wonder Twins. I don't know their names right now. Maybe some of you do. I'm really worried about you if you do. But they're all there, but I notice there is no Boy Wonder. There's no Robin. There's a Batman. There's a seat for Robin, and there's no boy wonder. There's a problem. I remember now, as I'm seven years old, Christmas morning, me and my huge family all there in the living room, and I threw an absolute crying, screaming fit over Robin not being there. They're surrounded by, you know, Christmas paper and boxes and all that. I'm telling you, I remember, I remember pitching a fit because there's no Robin. And as I'm like, you know, I don't know whether I'm throwing my hands down or stomping. I know I was crying and I could see, I could see that it was working. It was working. At seven years old, I knew. I could see in my mom's eye that I was chipping away. Listen, parents, if you have children and you ever wonder... Do they know what they're doing? I remember. I knew what I was doing. I was doing it on purpose. I was throwing a fit and I could see that it was working. There was no Robin and it needed fixed. And I threw a fit until finally my mom said, fine. She's almost in tears herself. Fine. We'll go tomorrow and get Robin. And that's exactly what they did. They traveled to Cumberland, Maryland, about a 45-minute drive to a toy store. It might have been the day after that. But very, very few, few days after that, they drove to Cumberland, and they came home with a Robin figurine. Now, that's the story, from my perspective, when I was seven years old. But now I'm 45, soon turning 46. And let me tell you the rest of the story. My father worked at the West Vaco paper plant. 
My mom was a housewife, a homemaker. She didn't work. And in November of 1977, there was a labor dispute at West Vaco. And so all the workers in November of 1977 went on a wildcat strike. Now, if you're not a laborer part of a union, you may not know what that means. So let me tell you. What that means is they walked out of work without the support of the union. And what that meant to my dad was what? No paycheck. No paycheck. So now my father, five children and a wife, a mother-in-law that he basically is taking care of, has no pay, November, two weeks in November, four weeks in December, and Christmas comes along. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? How are we going to make it? Well, we've got to get Christmas presents. And so I know now what they did is they went to a friend of theirs, and they told him what was going on. And their friend had a, happened to have a Justice League set, a Super Friends Hall of Justice. The only problem is, you know, little Mikey, whoever it was, he lost the Robin, but you can have it. So my parents, thank the Lord, God gave us this present. We have a present to give to our seven-year-old boy. And they wrapped it up in a box, cleaned it all up, because I'm sure it was pretty worn out after being used, wrapped up in a box, and I ripped it open and threw a fit. And I could see that it was working. And it did. You know, here's the thing. Here's the thing about life. And I think we all know this. We all, we've all come to understand this in our lives. And that's this fact that as we, as we mature, as we grow up, we realize there's value in seeing the whole picture. Isn't there? You know, as a seven-year-old, I couldn't see that my parents, I don't know how they did it. They did, he didn't go back to work till February. I don't know how they did it. I don't know how they lived for that, you know, three months without any pay. I don't know. A seven-year-old, I had no idea. Now that I'm a 45-year-old, I look back on it, the perspective of realizing what they were enduring brings a whole new view of of, of every part of that event. We've been talking about angels here over the last two weeks. We've been looking at the Christmas story. We've been looking at the Christmas narrative. Mary and Joseph and and there in Bethlehem and Jesus is born. But what I want to do today, the way I want to open up God's Word and what I want to look at today is how does the Christmas narrative look from the perspective of the angels? If we could see things, if we could see things from the angels' perspective, what would we see? And how would we be moved in our hearts? Because maturity understands. Seeing the big picture makes all the difference. And I want us to see the big picture. I want us to see today the picture that is really going on that day, that Bethlehem morning, and is going on in our lives today. And I'll say this to every one of us. No matter what your background is, no matter what brought you here, no matter whether you're a follower of Jesus or just kind of investigating, I want you to see the big perspective today. I hope that you'll see the larger picture that's going on. That our lives are not just the individual details that are going on every day. 
It's not all about the little things that we're doing every single day in our lives. There is a broader picture at play. There's a bigger perspective. And if we could see it, if we can draw back far enough, if we can put ourselves away for just a minute and draw back far enough to see the big picture, everything is different. Let me review where we've been about angels, okay? I've got some slides up on the screen just to kind of help you remember. We would talk about angels, and angels are true beings. They really do exist. The Bible describes an innumerable number. God created the angels. They, you don't become an angel. Man doesn't become an angel or woman doesn't become... People do not become angels after they die. God made a number of angels that He established, and those angels made a decision... Some of them chose to worship God. Some of them chose to rebel against God. This is how the Bible describes it. Those that worship God, we call holy angels. One is named Gabriel. One is named Michael. There's thousands upon thousands of others. We don't know their names, but we know that they are true spiritual beings. They have intelligence. They have emotion. They can make decisions. The holy angels. Now, those who rebelled against God, because there were a certain number that rebelled against the Lord. And we don't call them angels, although they really are. We call them demons. And they're spiritual beings. And yes, they truly exist. Yeah. The Bible speaks in 34 of the 66 books refer to these spiritual beings, angels and demons. A couple other things. We saw Gabriel last week. Okay, I'll put that, that screen up on there for you. The, the slide on the screen, that is. We saw Gabriel, and we saw that he was sent by God, sent to Mary. And this is what he said to Mary. Talking of Jesus, he said, He will be great. He will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give them the throne of the Father David, and He will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of His kingdom there will be no end. Well, the activity of angels, and it's there on your worship notes um, if you want to just see it. I do want to mention this. Angels are involved in our life. They are. Now, I can't tell you exactly what an angel did in your life today. I don't know that for sure. But Hebrews 1 says that they are ministers to us who have put our trust in Jesus. They, They have some type of activity here on earth. I don't know what they are. I know we are we are definitely commanded not to pray to angels. We're not commanded, we are commanded not to worship angels. We're, we are commanded that angels are not an intermediary between us and God. There's only one. There's only one go-between between us and God, and that's the man, Jesus Christ. So angels don't play that role, but they are servants of God, and they do, they do what God directs them to do. It's very interesting when you read through the Gospels, when you read through the Gospels, how often angels played a role in the life of Jesus. Certainly angels were very involved in his birth. They proclaimed his birth. They they went to the shepherds and and proclaimed his birth. We see the angels involved in in Jesus' resurrection. Remember, rolled away the stone. Okay, there There was an angel sitting on that stone, that is. I mean, angels were very involved. It's interesting to me that there's one time, one time when angels did not help Jesus Christ. There's a time when angels didn't help Jesus. When Jesus was on the cross, dying for our sins. I mean, earlier he had said, I could call thousands of angels. 
but he didn't. See, there's only one go-between, between you and God. And that's the Lord Jesus Christ. That's it. But there is a value in us studying about angels. Now, when you, when you open up your Bible, there's, there's a host of names for angels. I think those are on your worship notes. Um, you'll find them there. there there's, there's many things that angels are called. They're called the sons of God. They're, they're called living creatures. Two groups are identified, the cherubim and the seraphim. And you, could, you can read about that. But I want to show you one verse in particular that, ta- that speaks of angels. It's up on the screen. It's, it's from the book of Daniel. Now, Daniel here is, is going to express... Um, to us, the, the content of a vision that he received. God in his wisdom came to Daniel, a very unique occurrence. He comes to Daniel and, and shares with him his, God's plan for the earth. And look what, look what Daniel says. I saw in the visions of my head as I lay in bed, and behold, a watcher. A holy one came down from heaven. I find that fascinating. That Daniel, speaking of angels, called them watchers. Three times in the book of Daniel, he calls an angel a watcher. Now, no other biblical writer uses that term for angels, but that's significant. That's very significant that that there is is an aspect of the role of angels that they are watching us. They are watching what we do. They're observing man. And it's honestly all through your Bible. It's all through your Bible that the angels are viewing us. You say, well, why? Why? Why does the Bible tell us this? Why are angels watching? Why does that matter? Because like you, angels were made to worship. Like you, angels were made to worship God. And one of the things that drives creatures to worship the created is what he has done in believers' lives. Let that hit you. What God has done in your life, if you're in Christ today. The story of your life. The fact that God has worked in your life. He's drawn you to yourself, I hope. You've responded to the gospel and said, yes, I know this is true. I receive your forgiveness. And you're now a changed man. You're a changed woman. And that story is glorifying to God. It says, God is awesome. Look what God has done. And the angels are watching because they're going to worship God over what happens in your life. I take you to the book of Job. Those of you who have read it know that story in Job chapter 1. Where Satan, a fallen angel, comes before God and God says, Have you seen my servant Job? He's a righteous man. It's like God is using us to brag on himself. Wow. You say, Lord, do you really believe this? This is what the Bible portrays. Let me show you a couple of those because it's a significant point. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 
I won't hit all of these. I think I have them up on the screen. Yeah, there's the references. Um, You're going to have to look at them later because I'm going to run out of time if I spend all of my time on these. But this just really is, it blows my mind. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul is describing what he has done in following Christ. Specifically, what's going on in his life as he's proclaimed Christ, as he's shared the gospel. He's explaining what has happened. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, he's developing that. Go with me to verse number 8. And he's, he's speaking here to these, to these individuals. He says, already you have all you want. He's being sarcastic there. Already you've become rich. Without us, you become kings. You see, the, the recipients in this letter had, had grown to where they didn't really respect Paul for his mission of bringing the gospel to them. So notice what he says in verse number 9. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all. He's like men sentenced to death. Here's what he's saying. We preach the gospel and we're hated for it. We preach the gospel and we're rejected by Christ. We take a stand for Jesus and people, they stand against us. Look what he says. For God has exhibited us apostles, as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle, literally that is the word, a theater. We have become a spectacle, a theater to the world. We are a theater. Look at us, Paul's saying. Those who are bringing the gospel, we are hated for Jesus, but we love him anyway. We are like a theater to the world. And also a theater to who? What's the next phrase? To angels. To angels. And to all men. So, we only worship God. But, you know, I I do want to say this. You know when you feel like you're all alone? You know when you feel like, man, nobody, nobody knows what I'm going through. Nobody knows the stand that I'm taking. Nobody knows how I'm being resisted for Christ. That is not true. That is not true. You are not alone. There is A, your Father, who never leaves, who never forsakes, There is within the Trinity the Son, Jesus Christ, who's with you always. There is the Spirit of God within the Trinity that has indwelt you as a believer. But folks, there's a whole world of spiritual beings. You are not alone. God is being glorified by you. Even when you're resisted, even when you're all alone and you think, nobody even sees this. Oh, far from true. Far from true. If we could just get the perspective, if we could just draw back far enough to truly see what is happening. Okay, let's get to the Christmas narrative now. I've been talking all about angels. Let's talk about Christmas a little bit. Go with me in your Bible to Luke. Go to Luke, and I want to read here in chapter 1. And let's see how this is described. I'm wrong. I want to go to Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. 
And now we're going to have the angel interacting with the earthly father, the adopted father of Jesus, the man Joseph. Matthew chapter 1, verse number 18. Got a picture here of, the, of that night. I like, it's really interesting to see the artwork for a nativity. I find it very interesting to, to spend time looking at those and sharing a few with you on occasion. Matthew 1, verse number 18 says this. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, that is a very strong engagement. That's what that means, betrothed. Before they came together, this means as husband and wife, this is sexually, before they had come together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, because he certainly should have in that culture. He certainly could have as a man. You see, when she's found with child, Joseph would be required to go through a legal proceeding to, to divorce her, to end this time of betrothal. And tradition tells us that he could have called for her stoning. There was a picture on one of the news sites this week of a woman in Iran who was stoned. Did you see that? And they buried her in soil up to just at this level in a wooden box. And then they stood around her with rocks and threw them down on her head until she died. Her crime? She arranged for the murder of her husband. His crime? He'd been sexually abusing her for some time. Wow. See, that's very similar to the world that Joseph is in. But desiring to be a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord. This angel isn't named. I believe it was probably Gabriel, but I don't know that. But this angel appeared to him in a dream. And he said, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Now all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Verse 23, a, a, a reference to Isaiah. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means... God with us. Now when Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not, they did not come together as husband and wife, until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. Love this account. Love this man, Joseph. I've already decided, next year around Christmas, I want, to, I want to preach on Joseph. I decided this week. I want, to, I want to deal with Joseph next year. I'm very excited. Make sure you're here. It'll be some good times. Okay? It's a year away. But, but today what we're going to look at is this angel. And, and what came to the angel's mind as he considered what he was saying? Well, first of all, this is an amazing miracle of Jesus' birth. 
Okay? This is an amazing miracle. And listen, angels are observing what happens. And this doesn't just naturally occur. This is a miracle that happened. God did a miracle and placed this child into Mary's womb. Now, don't get me wrong. Every birth, every conception is a miracle. Ask any doctor to explain how this happens. They can't. Ask any scientist to explain. They can't. It's a miracle. Conception and birth and and new life is a miracle. But this is a unique miracle. Mary and Joseph were betrothed. As I already said, that was a a very strong engagement. This This was a legal arrangement that occurred that would last typically for about nine months or longer. Because through this time, we are Joseph is being assured that Mary is not pregnant, is a virgin. And so they enter into this agreement, this betrothal period goes by, and then they're married. They come together as husband and wife. Well, there's a miracle. A supernatural conception occurs. And the, and the angel comes to Joseph. I'm going to look in verse number 20 primarily. And he says, do not fear. Literally, no phobos, where we get phobia. No phobos. Now, what is Joseph going to be afraid of? What's he going to be afraid of? I, now, Mary, last week when Gabriel came to Mary, she shook with fear in seeing this Gabriel angel, right? But now Joseph is knocked out of sleep. He's not trembling. I mean, we all have weird dreams, right? That happens. So it's not the sight of the angel that's causing him fear. It's the miraculous conception. This blows his mind. The doctrine of the virgin birth. It is important for us to realize. Now let me just, let me just take care of a couple things. It does not mean that God came and in some way they had some type of relationship, God and Mary, and, and then Jesus was in her, in her womb. That's not what this means. Regardless of what the Muslims say that we are teaching, that is not what we're saying. It wasn't that God came and inseminated Mary. That's not what happened. God did a miracle. And Jesus was conceived in the womb of Mary. Turn in your Bible to John chapter 8. Go to John chapter 8 with me. There's a really interesting verse in John chapter 8. John 8. We find in John chapter 8 that this, I believe this virgin birth, the fact that this was a miraculous conception, was known in that day. John chapter 8, there's a, there's a discussion going on between Jesus and the Pharisees. And they are trying to really bring him down. And Jesus says to them in verse number 41, you see in verse number 40, he said, you're seeking to kill me. You want to kill me, John 8, 40. In John 8, 41, Jesus says this, you, speaking to the religious leaders of the day, John 8, 41, you are doing the works your father did. They said to him, we were not born in sexual immorality. Literally, we were not born in pornea. We've talked about that word. We weren't born in pornea. We have one father, even God. 
It's a very common interpretation for this passage to believe that the Pharisees and the Sadducees and religious leaders are saying, Hey, Jesus, we know what your mother did. We know she was fooling around. We know. You see, this idea of a virgin birth, we know this goes beyond any scientific or biological or medical laws. God did a miracle here. He did a miracle. And we see it throughout Scripture. Now, why was this necessary? I can't really, I, I, could t- I could conjecture why this is. I really can't tell you with any kind of certitude why the Lord did this, but I know that he did. I know that he did. And Joseph took this son, Jesus, as his own. And we see an adoption that is, that is beautiful, as adoption always is. And the Lord came alongside, that is, Joseph came alongside the Lord Jesus Christ and raised him up. Let me show you one more verse. This is a Christmas verse. It's from Galatians chapter 4. It says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Listen, in that day, I'm sorry, ladies, but in that day, you never said born of a woman. That's not what you said. In that day, nobody cared who your mother was. If you're describing somebody, you mentioned who their father is. Who their father is. But Galatians 4 says, born of a woman. This is a miraculous conception. And I know that the angels are like, whoa, God, that is a miracle. That's amazing. Let's go to the next one. Go back, to, go back over to Matthew chapter 1. And this is what I'm really excited to share with you. Matthew chapter 1. Notice what the angel says to Joseph about this child. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Now you find the name Jesus in the Bible a lot. It was a very common name in that day. Through the first and second century, it was a very common name. Now, thereafter, it quickly sort of grew out of of, uh, uh, common use because people didn't want to confuse it with Jesus Christ, of course. But in this day, it was a very common name. You find it in the book of Acts, chapter 7, in the speech of Stephen. But your translators don't say Jesus in Acts, chapter 7. You know what they say there? They're speaking of a guy that was in the book of of Joshua. His name in Acts, chapter 7? Joshua. You see, the name Jesus is the Greek version of Joshua. So Josh, in a Greek culture, we call you Jesus. And here's what it means. It means God saves. Literally, that's what Jesus means. Yahweh saves. So when the angel came to Joseph, verse number 21, she will bear a son, and you shall call his name God saves. The Lord saves. Yahweh saves. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. I want to get into the mind of an angel. What did the angel hear when this was explained? When he's explaining it, what did the angel, what went through his mind? You say, well, how are you going to ever tell us that? You're going to read angels' minds now? Is that what we're doing here? Mm, good question. Finger here. Turn to 1 Peter. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. This is towards the back of your New Testament. 
1 Peter chapter 1. In my Bible, it's page 1,828. It's back there a ways. 1 Peter chapter 1. And I want us to see what it is that angels think. What runs through their mind? Can I tell you? It should be the same for all of God's created creatures. It should be the same. Read with me at verse number 10 of chapter 1. Peter writes, concerning this salvation, the prophets... Now, just stay with me, okay? Stay with me. Trudge on. This is a long sentence, but you stay with me. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. So, prophets in the past wrote down about grace that you're going to get. Okay? They searched and inquired carefully. So they weren't cavalier about this. They're working hard to understand what God is promising. Inquiring now, this is the prophets, they're inquiring about what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them. So before Jesus ever came, the Spirit of Christ was working in them and was indicating when he, when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. So let's just, let's just summarize. Prophets in past, seeing that you're going to be saved, that we're going to put our trust in Jesus, came to understand, before he ever did it, that Jesus was going to die a wicked death. The prophets understood that. If you don't believe it, read Isaiah 53. Written 700 years before Jesus ever did it. Read Psalm 22. Written a thousand years before Jesus ever did it. The prophets figured out that Jesus was going to suffer for salvation. Okay? Verse number 12. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves, but you. And the things that they have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you. That's happening right now. Preaching the good news about Jesus. The prophets have been doing this forever, and we're going to do it now. Okay, now we get to the good part. Preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven. And then there's a little phrase at the end that we need today. Things into which angels long to look. That's a fascinating phrase. The angels themselves are longing to look into salvation. Longing is a Greek word that is most often translated, you ready for this? Lust. It's most often translated lust. It's not always negative. Now, lust typically is. But sometimes it just means a strong desire So the angels now are desiring to do something. They're desiring, and I'm going to do it for you right now. They're desiring to look into salvation. You know what that means? It means this. It means to crouch down and look in. It was used for John and Peter when they came to the tomb. And they crouch down to look in the tomb. And what are they looking for? Is Jesus' body in there? 
and looked in. And he wasn't. Angels desire to stoop down to look into salvation. And they don't get it. They don't get it. Think about it. Get the big picture. Draw back away from yourself. Don't be the seven-year-old, I want Robin. Draw back and think about what the angels see. The God of the universe made everything. Every angel, every demon, every part of this universe, every man, every woman, every child, God made them all. And the angels saw that. And Job says that they sang out songs when they, when they saw it. They rejoiced. This is so cool what you're doing, God. And then man rebelled against God and said, God, I don't want you. I don't want your ways. I don't like you. Get away from me. Now, that made perfect sense to the angels. They got that. You know why they got that? Because they've done it too. Because God made them with the will just like he made us. And so the angels understood that part. They were like, hmm, yeah, now that makes sense. Rebelling against the creator? Yeah. I remember old Bob, he did that too. So did Lucifer. See, they understood that part. But for angels, there is no salvation. When they chose to rebel against God, God said, I sentence you to eternity in hell. There is no salvation for any angel. No angel will ever get saved. They had one decision. Will I worship God or will I rebel God against God? And when they chose, there was no turning back. But now, they see Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, the one who spoke and we existed, comes to earth and becomes a man. They're there at the ready. Jesus said, I could call legions of angels and they would wipe out every one of you Romans. They are there at the ready. I don't know whether they have swords or not. I like to pretend that maybe they do. Swords ready to be drawn. Tell us Jesus and we'll wipe them out. And Jesus said, nope. I will endure this. And so he did. For the joy set before him. He endured the cross, scorning its shame. He purchased for us salvation. And now it is offered. It is offered. And the angels say, I don't get it. I don't get it. And every created being should have the exact same reaction. When that angel said to Jesus, or I'm sorry, to Joseph, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people. Are you sure, God? Is that really what you want me to say? Because it doesn't make any sense. 
Okay. He will save his people from their sins. Mm. Worship him today. Worship him. I'll just throw this up on the screen just so you can fill in your blank. The last thing is this, this glorifying of God also is the reality of his presence. And it says, God with you. He will be called Emmanuel. God with you. And I ask you, is he with you? Is God with you? And just so you know, I don't mean in some serpy little feeling like, oh, when I go through hard times, God is with me. I don't mean that. I'm not talking about chicken soup for the church soul. That's not what I mean. I mean, is Jesus Christ in your life today? Not He's with you in some weird way out here that we try to figure out and Oprah and Dr. Phil tell us. That's not what I mean. I mean, is He in you? Have you received His forgiveness? Have you seen what He offers and say, yes, I will receive? Because when you do, when you make that decision, God says His Spirit comes and indwells you. God is Spirit. God the Spirit now comes and indwells you. And you are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And so God is with you. And I'll tell you a second thing that happens when you make that decision. Luke 15 says, Think. Think. Luke 15 says, The angels rejoice over one sinner who repents. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for this truth. Father in heaven, Lord, we come to you now. Our spirit is drawn to you. Thank you for the gospel, Lord. Thank you for the fact that though we were sinners, we are sinners. Jesus Christ came and died for sinners. And to all who receive him, he gives the right to be called children of God. Now listen today, just continuing in a spirit of prayer, if you need to receive this salvation, if you need to receive this gift, there's no magic formula, there's no special word, there's there's nothing you need to know other than this fact. Jesus came to die for sinners. Now you receive Him as Lord and Savior. Cry out from your heart, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Cry out from your heart, Lord, I receive you as my Savior. I receive you as my leader. He comes. And He saves. Father, now we want to worship You over what You've done. Over Your amazing grace. Lord, this is beyond our recognition. It's beyond our ability to truly grasp this. So we will worship You today from our spirit and the truth of our heart that your grace is amazing. In Jesus' name, amen.